0: That was a moment in December 2015 when delegates at the UN climate talks in Paris announced they'd reached a historic agreement. Nearly 200 countries united with the intention to combat climate change. At the heart of the Paris Agreement was the aim to keep the rise in global average temperature inside this century to well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and to pursue efforts to limit the temperature increase even further to 1.5 degrees Celsius. But at the same time, global demand for energy is only increasing. So that leaves a challenge. How do we meet rising energy demand while reducing carbon dioxide emissions? Carbon Capture and Storage, or CCS, has been hailed as hugely important in the fight against global warming. It's the technology that allows us to capture carbon dioxide and store it deep underground. Sounds easy? Well, let's see. I'm Kunal Datta, and this is the Energy Podcast brought to you by Shell. In each episode, we'll be asking the big questions of how the world will meet its energy challenges in the future, from better batteries to blockchain. Today, however, our focus is CCS. Here with me in the studio now is David Hone, Shell's chief climate change advisor, and joining us from Scotland is Stuart Hazeldean, professor of carbon capture at the University of Edinburgh. Stuart, can you just tell us uh, where is the world up to with this technology,
1: carbon capture storage? Well the idea of carbon capture and storage has been around for many decades. It was first invented in 1977 by Cesar Marchetti in in, uh, Italy but it didn't really get any traction with industry and business until the 1990s when people started working on the practicalities of storage of CO2 deep underground and discovered that there could actually be really quite a lot of carbon dioxide storage in geological formations which would safely and securely keep that underground for tens of thousands of years into the future. David, a technology that uh, was sort of
2: really born in the 1990s, is it fit for purpose? Well, I think the technology certainly functions. It's it's a a collection of technologies that have been in existence in the oil and gas industry for, for many decades. I, I think if you look at the current global energy system, there are a number of places where There just aren't alternative technologies to replace the use of fossil fuels. And so even in the most optimistic scenario, uh, in terms of decarbonisation, you're still going to have considerable emissions. And carbon capture and storage can be applied on an industrial scale to those large sources. It works. It's been proven that it works. So I think, yeah, it's very fit for purpose. I'm sure the technology will evolve further as um, more installations are built. But where it stands today, it's ready to roll.
0: Let's now get a crash course in CCS from one of the world's largest projects. Quest, near Edmonton in Canada, is a Shell CCS facility. It prevents over a million tonnes of CO2 from reaching the atmosphere each year. Anne Halliday is an advisor on the project and best place to explain exactly what happens.
3: Here at Quest, we've taken some high-quality sources of carbon dioxide and figured out a way to capture that carbon dioxide, transport it and store it safely. It's actually very simple. It's a very standard method of gas processing. So we use it in a lot of different applications all over the world. Here at Quest, the amine is designed to preferentially grab that carbon dioxide as opposed to all the other gases that are in that stream. That amine then goes to another tower which we call the stripping tower, and there the amine is separated from the carbon dioxide. They use steam, and what the steam does is it raises the temperature, so when that amine solution is heated up, it releases the carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide that's been released, it's then taken off the top of that stripping tower and then brought into a dehydration and compression unit. The storage part is basically putting the carbon dioxide somewhere where it is going to be permanently and safely stored. Here at Quest, we found one of the safest places in the world to permanently store that carbon dioxide in a saline reservoir two kilometres underground.
0: Stuart Hazeldean from the University of Edinburgh. Do you think the price of this technology is likely to fall with innovation, just like it has with solar technology?
1: Well, I think it's highly probable that the price will decrease and will decrease quite a lot because uh, there's two or three lines of evidence for that. Uh, Firstly, the projects which have been built at industrial scale have all been one-off projects on on large projects, on power stations or on gas uh, separation facilities and each one of those has said when they've finished, actually if we did this again now we would save about 30% on the cost of the project. So there's a very immediate and quick uh, cost saving for the follow-on projects. Uh, The second type of saving is new technology and it's uh, very clear that in several places around the world there's really advanced experimentation and development going on in in different ways of capturing carbon dioxide. There will be
0: people sort of asking why, um, with all these needs for subsidies, transportation, infrastructure, government um, support, why don't we just focus our attention on a more sort of long-term solution, i.e. investing in energy sources that emit no carbon at all?
1: Well, the I think the thing to appreciate is that energy is much larger than electricity. And so renewable power from wind power or solar power or even solar thermal is uh, really producing mainly electricity at the point of use. Whereas what we are trying to portray with carbon capture and storage is there are many sectors across the whole economy which need to be decarbonised So electricity is one, that might be a quarter of our energy use. Transport might be another quarter or another third. And then heating or cooling in many countries also is a huge energy uh, drain and maybe covers uh, a third or half of energy use. And as well industrial products, so making products like steel or cement or paper inherently as part of the process produces carbon dioxide. So carbon capture and storage tries to tackle all of those different areas. Thank you.
0: While we're uh, talking about the challenges, let's now go back to Quest and hear a bit more from Anne Halliday about the wider challenges of capturing CO2. The
3: Quest project, we looked at capturing carbon dioxide from an oil and gas based facility, so from an oil sands upgrading unit the technology that we're using for capture is actually it's not all that special it's a bit off the shelf I know I'm insulting a bunch of engineers when I call it just off the shelf but but really these are all technologies that are not new Um, we've just applied it to a very specific application the capture side is really where the big challenge is because the quality of the of the carbon dioxide and what that carbon dioxide is mixed with is actually where that that engineering problem lies so in the pre-combustion world um, for places like Quest, which is uh, off of an, an oil sands upgrading facility, the quality of the carbon dioxide is very high. Um, so it doesn't take very complicated processes to try to clean up that, that waste stream and get a very purified form of carbon dioxide. The Holy Grail is really on, on the coal-fired power plants. When you burn coal, coal is very dirty. There's lots of really, uh, to be extremely scientifically accurate, nasty stuff. Uh, that comes out of coal-fired power plants, and so it actually it's 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 really difficult to get a clean source of carbon dioxide. So we have engineers kind of working all sorts of different problems to do with the quality of the carbon dioxide, the uh, concentration of the carbon dioxide, right? Whether it's just like the concentrations in the air versus the concentrations in uh, in an off-gas stream from an oil sands refining. Operations. Um, those are really the, the big technical problems. One of the really unique things that we do is we share all of our knowledge that uh, that we've discovered about Quest, and have people coming from all over the world to come visit the Quest facility to look at the capture site, to look at our pipeline, to come visit our storage site. Um, they take those learnings back to their countries, back to their spe- their specific projects, and hopefully that will enable them to get their carbon capture industry off the ground or help de-risk uh, their specific projects it's not just that we're, we're doing this because it's good business we're not doing this because it, it makes money we're doing this because it's first of a kind we think it's an important thing to do and we're sharing this knowledge with as many people as want to know about it so if you would like to go and build your own carbon capture facility <laughs> You can go to, the, uh, go to a website, you can download our engineering diagrams and with, you know, a couple hundred million dollars, uh, you can build your own quest. And I think that's pretty unique.
0: David Home, Chief Climate Change Advisor at Shell. How safe is it to store
2: carbon underground? You know, that's an area where a great deal of research and analysis has been done. It, it continues there's been a a project in Norway from the 1990s that has safely and securely stored CO2 for now. Well, it's actually more than 20 years, and continues to do so. I I think you know. There's also one analogy to all of this, and that is that the formations which are going to be used to store CO2 either look like or in some cases actually are formations where natural gas is found and and in fact we you know that natural gas has been used so that natural gas has been there quite safely and securely for millions of years. You know, I, I'm not a geologist, but you've just got to look at this from the facts that exist. Stuart, you are a geologist. What
0: do you have to say about this safety question?
1: So the, there are several lines of evidence which uh, David has alluded to. Firstly, we have many natural gas methane accumulations, so they're analogues, yeah. but we also have many geological accumulations of real carbon dioxide, of very, very pure carbon dioxide, which has remained trapped and safe and secure for millions of years underground or even tens of millions of years in many cases and they exist in uh, the United States, in Italy, er, in the North Sea for the UK, in the Far East, there's a global distribution. So we can understand really quite precisely the geological conditions which are required to contain CO2 for millions of years. And then we can go and search for places like the Quest location where we can engineer CO2 accumulation and gain the benefit of that geological containment. Thank you. Uh, Time to bring in one final guest. Joining
0: us from Australia, Simon Holmes-Aquart, Senior Advisor to the Energy Transition Hub at the University of Melbourne in Australia. Simon, it's fair to say you're fairly sceptical about the power of CCS.
4: I've no doubt that CCS works, technically works. Uh, it, it clearly has been demonstrated many sites around the world, but I'm, I'm fairly sceptical that CCS will play a significant role in the major energy transition that's before us. So we've shown that it can be done, but what we've, what we've learned in doing so is that it's extremely expensive. Now we can come down the cost curve with, con- with, with repetition, the same way we've all seen other technologies like solar panels come down the cost curve. But the primary driver for coming down that cost curve has been the volume manufacturing. They're manufactured good rather than a, each project being bespoke. So China China's building seven solar panels a second. Uh, every, every day there are tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of engineers working out how to get a fraction of a cent out of each of those panels. Whereas the development timelines for carbon capture and storage projects uh, really more on, on the order of decades. We've, we've only got about 17 projects in the world uh, and there are very few on the drawing board. So we're just not getting the learning effect coming down the cost curve that we would for massive repetition.
0: Simon, we often hear the call for a carbon price. That's like a government-imposed price put on carbon to encourage people to cut their greenhouse gas emissions. Can you just explain why this is so important and why it hasn't happened yet?
4: When we have carbon pricing, it focuses everyone's minds on finding the least cost solution uh, to abatement. So right now we have a real tragedy of the commons where anyone can, can put CO2 into the atmosphere in most countries in, in the global economy uh, and do so without uh, taking any expense you know, in, into their accounts for doing so. So when we have a carbon price, everyone is motivated to find ways to reduce that. And we had a carbon price in Australia for two years. The, our carbon emissions went down significantly. As soon as the carbon price was removed, our emissions intensity of the economy went up.
0: But it's seen as a tax. Is that, That's the issue, is it?
4: Sure. So very difficult in the current uh, economy to, to introduce anything that looks like a tax. And that was one of the most significant arguments against Carbon pricing in Australia was that it was adding a great big tax to the economy. It was actually quite a well-designed. Uh, it was it was never a tax. It was basically an emissions trading scheme, and it was designed to be revenue neutral for the for the government, so that the the proceeds were returned back to the community through through various rebates.
0: Is carbon pricing the only way to make CCS happen at scale?
4: Yeah. at with a, with a very significant carbon price and, and probably more than fifty euros per ton, we start uh, focusing the minds of industry on on uh, either reengineering their processes or, or creating whole new processes. Many of those, I, I believe, will move from hydrocarbon based to either hydrogen or electricity uh, based processes where possible.
0: Okay, um, just before we wrap up, I'd like to ask one thing that needs to happen in order for CCS to really sort of come of age. Stuart, can we start with you then? What's the one thing you'd like to see happen to really try and um, get CCS
1: up and running? I'd like to see the UK solve the problem of the market price for CO2 storage, because until there's a value and a profit to be made in storing CO2, there's no attraction
2: to develop the project. David Hone? I think my answer is pretty much exactly the same. We've seen mechanisms introduced into the energy system to pull solar and wind specifically into the energy mix. We do have a carbon price in the EU already, but I think tailoring an aspect of that to pull CCS into the mix and actually force projects to happen uh, through commercial incentive is what's needed to get this industry going.
4: And Simon, I've got the same response as most people in the carbon reduction sector have: it's just uh, pricing of carbon. Uh, so once once we have price on carbon and some stability around that price, then the capital will flock towards solutions, innovation will, will flock towards the space and we will start getting uh, real progress towards the most efficient, most capital efficient uh, and most effective processes.
0: Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you to all my guests, David Hone from Shell, Stuart Hazeldean from the University of Edinburgh and Simon Holmes Accord from Melbourne University in Australia. And of course, thanks to the team at Quest for showing us around. Next on the Energy Podcast, we'll be diving into the world of blockchain. What on earth is it? And could it change the way we think about the energy industry? The Energy Podcast was produced by Fresh Air Production. And I must remind you that the views you've heard today are those of the people featured and not the Shell Group or its affiliates. Please do subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review. In the meantime, from me, Kunal Dutta, it's thank you for listening and goodbye.